Ephesians 1.18 Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Folks, consider these are... Powerful words, truly powerful words. And they are calling you and me to a higher level of faith and understanding both about who God is and about all that we should be experiencing in our relationship with Him. Here in verse 18 we read, He speaks of the riches of His glorious inheritance. And then in verse 19 He speaks about this immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might. And so a question for us. Do these words get you excited? Or do you simply read them, hear them, accept them, but not much more? Let me ask that question again. Do these words excite you? Or as I read them to you, as you read them, do you simply read them, accept them, but not much more? An unfortunate reality that I see in our relationship with God is that He is only as big and only ever as powerful as our rational minds allow Him to be. And it's ever so difficult to push past those barriers on into higher realms like those spoken about here in these words. And as a result, our daily Christian experience continues to languish in the same doldrums as those expressed by the late Jewish rabbi Joshua Heschel. He lived in the early 1900s, died in the 1970s, and he has a collection of sayings. He uh, He was a Jewish rabbi. And one of those particularly applies to this. He said, our religion, his religion, the Jewish religion, is often dull. A religiosity in which faith is completely replaced by creed. Worship is replaced by discipline. Love is replaced by habit. And faith becomes an heirloom rather than a living fountain. Folks, those are words from someone who does not believe in Christ, who did not believe in Christ. But are they not similar to the struggles that we ourselves have with our own Christian faith. But it should not be. It must not be allowed to continue that way. Our God truly is an awesome God, able to be and to do, as we read here in Ephesians 3, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Last week as we closed the message, I read a portion from Philippians 2 that have similar words to these words in Ephesians 1. Listen to this. This is Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. There he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now remember I mentioned a moment ago that 
we consider God only ever as big and ever as powerful as our rational mind allows us. But here he's saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself to be of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we this day commit ourselves to somehow moving on past these self-imposed limits of our rational thoughts and actually then by faith allow our minds to be renewed and to be transformed so that we can really believe these truths and get excited about them. Think with me for a while as we consider these words. I've said to you in the past that my usual manner of thinking through things is most often very literal and it employs a lot of visual imagery within my thoughts. And the same is true as I attempt to grasp the meaning of these words about God the Father and about the Lord Jesus. And no, we can't, with our rational, ordinary minds, really relate to some of the lofty matters that God speaks of here. But thanks be to God, with His Holy Spirit in us, we are able to make some discernments. Now here, simply put, in the words that we've read, we're told that Jesus was forevermore God. By the way, neither the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons believe this. But Jesus was forevermore God. He was the creator and the sustainer of all the things that exist. But he divested himself of that heavenly position to also become forever an ordinary man. Forevermore an ordinary man. Joining together body and soul and spirit, that which is infinitely perfect and holy, with that which is wretchedly imperfect. And he did that solely for the purpose of saving you and me from our own self-inflicted destruction. Now we can to some extent then imagine the daily life that Jesus experienced when he walked among us. Because it was probably somewhat similar to that of our own. And to some degree, we can imagine that horrible death that he suffered. But that's about as far as our minds, our imaginations can take us because for him, that next step was for him to be resurrected and then for him to return to his kingly position of power at the right hand of God the Father. That's what these words are saying. And by those things that he did as he became a man, Jesus, and I want to emphasize this, became forevermore very different from who he was before when he was there in the Trinity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for eons past. Jesus is now no longer only an eternal spirit. He is now also forevermore in the form of resurrected man. And no, we can't imagine exactly what that means or what it might look like. God Almighty and resurrected man being 
in one being. But that's the image that's given to us here in these words of Ephesians 1. Listen again. That he, God the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him there at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now within these words, we're able to imagine and to visualize Jesus, our Lord and King, being seated there at the right hand of God the Father. And again, I'm asking you to bear with me because I do visualize things as I think through them. And so Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of God the Father, reigning over all heaven and earth. But our minds really can't imagine past that, those thrones, because we're not able to visualize God the Father or God the Spirit. They are truly invisible to our imagination. And I confess that I don't know all the reasons why God has chosen to give us this imagery and this assurance of His power and might, but I believe that it has to do with that weakness that I spoke about a moment ago, our limitation of mind where we're only able to go as far as our rational thoughts will take us. But here God seems to be going all out to make us understand and believe that He truly is an awesome God with power and might that is far and above all that we can ever think or imagine. Power and might that is fully able to meet any and every circumstance of our life. And that His Son, the Lord Jesus, is just as mighty and just as powerful as God the Father, and He is right now seated on His throne. Verse 21, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And unless we're able to truly accept and believe this to be true, that Christ in us is more powerful than the continual onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devil, then we will be forever relegated to living that weak and defeated life that we so often experience and that Rabbi Heschel spoke of. Unless we're able to truly relate to the Lord Jesus there on the throne, then all his religion becomes to us is a group of creeds, good ideas to live by every day, and nothing more. And that's not going to work for us. Why won't it work for us? It's because that which we battle against on a daily basis is always a predator, and is always there to defeat our ability to simply do those creeds and obey those simple directions. We don't have that kind of wherewithal or power within us to do it. We need to somehow have that intimate connection and relationship to that one sitting there on the throne. We sing about this in A Mighty Fortress. What Martin Luther was referring to is verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. These words are addressing that misconception that I spoke about. 
it's at work among not only the people of the secular world, and they are very willing to accept all of the creatures of the darkness that's being spoken about here in the rule and authority and power and dominion. Hollywood depicts all of that very well. And we enjoy those movies. Some of us do. And so we can accept that that's taking place. And it's very real, by the way, in a lot of the secular religions, especially those that are involved in the tribes in the third world countries. But let me say to you that these misconceptions about who Christ is and about the onslaught that takes place all of the time against us by these ones who are called rulers and authority and powers and and dominions in the dark places. It's very strongly at work within our own Christian religion. There's a misconception, especially within our Christian concepts, that there are two powerful and equal forces at work within our souls. That of good and that of evil. And that each side in this conflict is led by its champion. The good side being led by God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus. The other side, those dominions and powers spoken about here, are being led by Satan and his demonic forces. It's a misconception, though. It might seem to be correct, but it's actually completely incorrect, completely wrong. The part that makes it completely wrong is on the authority of these words before us today. Both sides are not equal. Both sides are not equal. They're not even close to being equal. But now with that being said, just as we sang in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, we also have to acknowledge that God really has given that other side the evil side, a certain defined measure of dominion and power and control over the common matters of this world. And that's confusing to us. They really are among us and they really do have freedoms to tempt us and to make our lives miserable, and they do. Most of it without us even knowing that it's them that's doing it. But we have these instances in Scripture, though, where we can see how God has granted Satan and the demonic world, these powers. I'm reminded of there in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted by Satan. One of the temptations was for positions of power and authority. Satan offering to grant Jesus a powerful position on the earth. Let me read those words for you. This is Matthew chapter 4 verse 8. Again, the devil took him, took the Lord Jesus, up onto an exceedingly high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Note two things in those words. First, that Jesus did not dispute that Satan had the power and authority to give him all the things of this world. Now why would that be so? It is because... God the Father truly had given Satan certain power and authority over this earth. It is real, and it is powerful, and it dominates much of all that takes place in the daily lives of all the people of this earth. 
including all the elements of nature, all the affairs of men, all the power and the corruption and the crime and the wars, and on and on. And Satan's power also includes putting people into positions of authority. Our government leaders, people within our financial systems, leaders within all of these key positions. Simply put, Satan and his demons really do have a lot of power and a lot of control on this earth. But again, again, are they in any manner or form equal to God and to his power and to his might and his authority? No. Emphatically, no. Verse 10 that I just read there in Matthew 4. Then Jesus said to him, said to Satan, Away with you, Satan! With simply a flick of his tongue, Jesus cast Satan aside like a flea. May I say that again? With just a flick of his tongue, one word will fail him. With just a flick of his tongue, Jesus just dispatched Satan like the flea that he is. He did that on another occasion. You'll recall when Peter was trying to talk him out of uh, being crucified. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. With just the flick of his tongue, he cast Satan aside. Yes, Satan and his demons are powerful, but they are not equal to God. Not in any sense of the word. And that is why we have to have that relationship with that one that sits on that throne. Because it is only that word that will fell our enemy. Not something that we might do. Not all of our good works or our good behaviors. Those might be good, but they can't fight the battle for us. And unfortunately, we do, on many occasions, give in to our fears and our misconceptions. And then just by doing that, we allow that demonic world to have more power than it should possess. But again, that's only because... We allow it, and unfortunately, sometimes by our behavior, invite it to be true. May I say it again? The real truth is, the forces of evil are never equal to, never more powerful than God. All the powers and the principalities and forces of this world, whether they be human or inhuman, they are simple, finite, created beings, wretchedly small and insignificant when compared to God. We read these words again, that he, God the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now here, Jesus, yes, is fully God, but he is also forevermore resurrected man. And there's a reason behind that. And I don't know all of that reason. But I do know that God did that specifically to defeat Satan. Because Satan is also a created being. Again, I don't know the whole importance of that, but I know that it's so true. And it helps us to be able to relate to it more on a more intimate basis. So then... What should we do with these things that God's taught us in these words today? What is our precept for today? It's this. Yes, you and I must recognize that there really is an enemy out there. 
and that he and his demons are not only powerful, but they're also very crafty. And they have ways of tempting us that catch us by surprise, catch us off guard every day, all through the day. And they carry us away into places and into behaviors where we should not go. And unfortunately for us, those demons work within the hearts and minds of the people all around us, some of whom we have come to sincerely trust, just as with the Apostle Peter trying to talk Jesus out of being crucified. Those same crafty demons can work in the hearts of some of the ones that we love and trust most, influencing them to do and to carry us into place those places and those behaviors where we don't belong. But those people and those evil forces, listen, they are limited. And they can be resisted. All we have to do, as these scriptures tell us, is draw near to God. Really draw near to that one on that throne. Draw near to God and he will draw near to us. And then those demons flee. That's what the scriptures tell us. That when God comes near to us, as we come near to him and he comes near to us, the demons cannot bear to be in his presence, and so they flee. But again, we must be convinced by these words that there really is no real comparison of the might and the power of God with that, well, either men or demons, but especially that one Satan and his demonic realm. For our part, there's only one condition that must first be met. We must first give our heart, soul, mind, and strength to Christ. Why does God insist on all of that? It's because if we hold one portion of that back, if we give Him our heart, but we won't give Him our mind because we insist on still relating all of our secular knowledge, if we hold on to our mind, it'll never work. Not the way God intends. And so that's why He says we must first give Him our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Once we've done that, once we are in Him, our protection and our provision is secure. In practical, daily, real-life terms, what these scriptures mean to you and me is that Jesus is not only head over all that we do in this church today, He's also intimately and powerfully involved in all those common details of life that we will encounter as we go out those doors. In our thoughts, in our behaviors, in our comfort, in our provision, in everything that will take place, you and I have to let Him be our God. Listen to these words again as I close. That He, God the Father, worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray.